Imagine if each morning when you wake up, you're smiling and looking forward to your day, knowing you are happy even while you're dealing with grief and loss. The Grief and Happiness Podcasts inspires, comforts, and supports you with each new episode. I'm Emily Zerothret, welcoming you to explore with me your life of endless possibilities. Aloha. I have a very special guest for you today who is also from Hawaii. She's on Oahu and I'm on Maui, and I think that's kind of cool. (laughs) So Kate has an amazing story to share with us, Um, different kinds of loss, actually, and the beautiful way that she's dealing with it. I have loved the idea of dance and movement to dealing with loss, and that's what she does. So welcome, Kate. Thank you. Thank you so much. Aloha. So happy Aloha, to be yes. here. <laughs> Neighbors joining yes. me here. Yes. Yes. Oh. Thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Can Can you tell us a little bit about you and what brings you to a podcast like this? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. My journey through grief, it started early. I'm 32. Uh, but my journey through grief started a lot earlier. I was diagnosed with scoliosis when I was nine years old. And so that kind of was really my introduction into grief. Although I didn't really know that it was kind of this prolonged grief journey I would be going through throughout my adolescence, really. I didn't know that grief was what was kind of this cloud that was over my head as I went and got five spine surgeries for scoliosis and kind of battled all these different health issues that kind of just chronically kept appearing in different parts of my body. But it was this incredible invitation at such a young age to, to become aware that of the, the power, the fragility, and also the resilience of the body. And growing up as a ballet dancer, um, I was always in my body. I was always aware of my body, but it wasn't, it was much more of a physical relationship to my body and performative relationship to my body than it was a explorative one. It it was an emotional or energetic one. And so I kind of had these periods of my life that all ended up being building blocks to the work that I'm offering now and really not quite realizing it until in these last few years that I've been doing the somatic psychotherapy work that I offer my clients now, which for those of you who haven't heard the term somatic yet, so the the root word soma just means body in Greek Greek, and basically the, the somatic therapy, somatic healing, what it is inviting us to do is to bring the language of the body, the language of sensation, which is the body's language into the therapeutic conversation. Because so much of the healing and therapy that we go through, it's really just talking. It's, a, it's concept, conceptual talk, conversations, trying to talk out, trying to make sense of these painful things that happen to us in life. And, and so often I know I've found myself through my experience, I've been in talk therapy since the dawn of time for various things. And it was always like, it, it would be helpful up to a certain point. And then it'd be like, wait, I'm kind of just talking out the same thing over and over again without a real dramatic shift. Like there was just something that was kind of missing. 
So that's when, and like I said, I've always also been connected to my body. I've had these issues with my body. I used my body for performative arts, but there was still kind of this missing piece of how to understand the body and the wisdom of the body, what the body was trying to communicate to me uh, through its pain, through the ailments that were arising. So all of these things were really kind of the foundation uh, for my grief. I'm not really fully knowing it, but really helping to lead me and open me up to become more receptive to when Buddhism entered my life when I was 21 and to start understanding the depth of practices around compassion and self-awareness and and the more spiritual esoteric concepts of death and reincarnation or life after death, these very extraordinarily mind-expanding possibilities and ways of relating to these things that most people in our lifetimes aren't necessarily and don't necessarily gravitate towards, but I did from a young age and without knowing what was ahead of me and still at 32, not knowing what's ahead of me, but at the time of 21, not knowing that in a few years from then, my father would get cancer. I would be his uh, sole caretaker uh, while I was also battling yet another health issue. Um, it was kind of like a, uh, a continuation of after my five spine surgeries, I ended up having some more issues with my vision and my neck. And so as I was taking care of myself and once again, kind of putting my life on hold and also taking care of my father, whom I was very close with, um, I was navigating almost an apocalyptic, it was the fall of 2017. And our home in the Napa Valley, I'm born and raised in San Francisco, our home in the Napa Valley ended up burning down my family's home. And then my dad died of cancer 11 days later. And so it, and everything fell into my lap as I was an only, I'm an only child. And it was this extraordinary initiation, I want to call it initiation into um, really learning what I'm made of. And to put all of these practices, all of these, these things that I had already kind of been going through and challenges I'd been going through into, okay, what I like to call, okay, this is the moment that matters. These are the moments that matter. And what am I going to choose in this moment? And how I was able to relate to my father's death and the tragedy of our house burning down and my health issues, it really made all the difference in being able to move forward in a healthy way and knowing that it is possible to simultaneously hold an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of joy with my grief. And so just to kind of then, of course, what has led me to now this work that I'm doing today was after these losses, these big losses about four months later, in San Francisco, I found a workshop that invites you to just kind of move a day long kind of movement workshop to a live celloist. And I 
had never done any type of live or, you know, kind of authentic movement like that before, only very technical dance, like in ballet. But I just said, why not? I'll go try it. You know, I was kind of in this fog post the post grief fog. And I, I went to it and, and the whole day long of moving to this live celloist and in between also doing some art, I realized I have moved and processed more of my grief in this day than I have in months of the talk therapy I was receiving. And that's when I went this, this, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. This is how I want to help people. I want to help them move through grief. So I had already had a master's in leadership studies. And then I decided to go back to another master's program in the psychosomatic dance movement therapy program. And I wanted to focus on the intersection of Buddhist Dharma practice and psychosomatic therapy, and then also grief and how, and how that all gets to kind of interweave together. So that was my focus. And then I ended up starting my own business, starting my own practice. And here I am today helping people to process through the body, grief through the body and, and offering this alternative way of healing. Wow, that's absolutely amazing. Your story is is so deep and beautiful and how you kind of followed the guidance of what was happening to you as you went along. So, so many people don't ever discover what that thing is that they're supposed to do. And, and you're so clear on that. That's, that's so beautiful. If someone were to come to you to help them with their grief, what would happen? What would the process be? Yeah, great question. So there's a lot of different types of grief, right? There's a lot of different types of grief. And each one is, is so special in the sense that it holds different paths, different types of gifts to explore. Um, someone who's coming out of a relationship or divorce is experiencing a very different type of grief than losing someone to death. And that was a question I actually often got asked was, what is kind of the difference between heartbreak after a breakup and then losing someone to death? And honestly, they're very different. They're very, very different. And sometimes I will hear when someone exits a, a relationship, oh, you know, this is like a form of death. It was a form of death. And yes, absolutely. We can look at all types of transitions as death, even right, you even go through our own identity deaths through life. So yeah, these deaths, but there's a, a different texture, there's a different type of relationship towards the person who has died versus the person who we are both, you know, choosing not to be in relationship together anymore. Um, and then there's the grieving of you know, we can grieve our careers, we can grieve um, our identities, like I was saying, we can grieve our health. I went through a whole grieving period, right, with being laid up with different spine surgeries and grieving all of these, you know, traumatic things happening to my body that I had no control over, um, can grieve traumatic experiences. And the one that I also really like to talk about that and ends up being kind of the foundation of what 
I work a lot with people who come to me wanting to work with grief or even people that come to me not thinking that they're going to work through grief, but we end up getting into it anyway, because I do truly believe we're all grieving something on some level. Um, We just have kind of a limited understanding of what grief is. We think it's associated only with death, but it's really this wide spectrum is we're often grieving an unmet need from childhood. And that's really what I like to get into because I did so much work in my psychosomatic program. This is the part that really lit me up was learning how our nervous systems and our minds, our bodies, fascia, everything is wired from the moment we're born, actually even before the moment we're born, but we won't go fully down that rabbit hole. But from the time we are born, we are so impressionable. We're actually the most absorbent of our entire lives is is really those first two, three years. And most people think, well, I don't consciously remember anything from that time period. So it must have not affected me. It's actually quite the opposite because we think, oh, memories are just explicit in our explicit memory. But most of the things, the unconscious patterns that we work on that show up in relationship and throughout life, the reactions we have to things, the things that get us, how we relate to everything, our perspectives, our lens, all of it is really stored in the implicit memory that we don't consciously remember. And that's usually before three years old. And so a lot of needs could be, could have been unmet during that time period or Another thing, I won't go too much into it, but I do like to nerd out about it a lot. And it does, it's really kind of what enters into how I work with my my clients, especially with grief, is really getting to, yes, we are grieving this current thing, this current event that happened. But where did this really start? Where did this, where did our relationship of how we're reacting to it and what's coming up and and our resistance to working through it or, you know, whatever's coming up with whatever we're grieving in the present, where are those behavioral tendencies actually coming from? And most often you can find 99% of your answers in going back and looking at, okay, not even, not just how were my caretakers, parents relating to me and I was relating to them, But also, how are my caretakers relating to each other? How are my parents relating to each other? And the reason why I get so excited about this is I actually realized that my my parents were going through a huge amount of grief during um, my one to three-year-old time, both of them for different reasons, huge amount of grief. I actually absorbed that. I actually absorbed their grief. Not knowing what it was, but I was such an impressionable time. And that was such a normal energy that I was feeling from them. And so then I kind of grew up always holding grief, not knowing it was really grief, but holding kind of this sadness, not depression either. I also like to make that distinction between grief and depression, but just kind of holding this heaviness throughout my life. And then, and then it would get, you know, exasperated through these big traumatic things. But what really, really helped me and what I like to help my clients through is understanding what is our first 
relationship and impression of grief? How did we first experience it in our bodies? And have we, how long have we been experiencing in our bodies for? And can we trace it back to where it originated? And then we kind of get to build from there, going from the past into the present. And then, of course, moving forward into the future. Wow. You made me think about where it probably started for me, actually kind of popped into my head when you were saying that, which was really interesting because I hadn't looked at it ever that way before. So how, how how do you do this with movement? Right. So how do we do this with movement? Now this gets to be right, because that's kind of the fun, again, conceptual layer of all of this. And so then how do we bring this into the body? So like I was saying with the absorption, right? So absorption, that's a very somatic experience when we absorb something and kind of like we almost imagine it seeping through our pores. The way that the body plays a role in all of this is so we have our skin layer and underneath the skin we have muscle and the thing that we don't talk too much about is what's in between that is the stuff these tissues called fascia and in the fascia that is where science lots of research studies have shown is where we actually hold our memories and Mm. emotions they're in they're in there, which is why our body kind of, when we go through this experience of trauma, maybe it's a, a shocking experience, or maybe it's um, kind of like a slow build, but whatever it is, our body kind of takes this like a, a holographic, like imprint of that moment of shock. So that's why the freeze response is a really common a reaction to being scared is when and and that's why people that have experienced severe trauma like you know war veterans are a great example um they you know once they leave and the danger you know everything and they come back and they try to assimilate back into normal life and they hear you know kind of like the the car backfiring right that's kind of like the one we hear about and they have this like response it's it happens in the body Right. The body, even though they can conceptually understand, okay, I'm not in a war zone, that doesn't matter. The, the, there's no logical sense making of this because it is so stored in the body. And I also work um, a lot with women who have experienced sexual trauma. And that is a big one around focusing how there are particular parts of our body that will hold trauma depending on, and sometimes it's the site at which actually the, the violation or the boundary crossing happened. And then sometimes it's somewhere else. It'll show up somewhere else in the body. That's not where it was physically um, where it physically happened, but basically the process is being able to go in a guided, I guide you inwards and we find where the part of the body you are feeling, emotions, memories, things like that. If you really go into a deep enough process, it becomes very clear. And we like to let go of any kind of, you know, sense-making things. Everything gets to be abstract, whether it's colors or memories or symbols or sounds or anything like that. And that's when we get to the nonverbal level, 
because so much of how we're programmed is, is to express non-verbally. And when we can quiet the mind, so it is a very meditative aspect. When we can quiet the mind and allow the body to speak through what I say, the language of the body through sensation, then we can start kind of exploring, okay, where's my body holding this? Oh, okay. Noticing that sensation of discomfort or, oh, noticing that sensation of pleasure and understanding that we're just learning a different language. And then once we can allow that to express itself, it is fascinating how the answers just start going boom, boom, boom. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. People will say, oh my gosh, things that I haven't even thought about for years or, oh, I never knew I was still carrying that. Or the most common one I get is I have no words to express what I just experienced. Mm -hmm. That's my number one thing that I always get. Um, I just did a whole um, event here in Oahu over the weekend and did a group, uh, led a huge group of people through it. And they're just, I don't even have words for that. (laughs) And so that kind of gets to be the exciting part of healing is we don't have to sense make of it, but when we give our body permission to express itself in whatever way through movement, then we can acknowledge the presence of the grief, of the trauma, whatever it is, and then we can release it. Wow. That is just <laughs> so amazing. It's something I hadn't thought of before in that sort of uh framework i know i've I've noticed here on um, maui they have groups i think they call it ecstatic dance where they just go in and dance and um i get i have to admit i've never been quite brave enough to go to one myself (laughs) probably because it's harder for me to move than it used to be when i was younger but it just sounds like it would feel so good Mm-hmm. So what do yeah. you think about something like ecstatic dance? Yeah. Well, ecstatic dance, that's that's what really led or began this journey. Um, the day-long workshop I went to wasn't technically considered ecstatic dance, but it inspired me to seek out ecstatic dance. And once I found it, I mean, I remember getting in there and I was like, well, I'm a technical ballet dancer. What are all these hippies running around the floor? What are they doing? And And then I got out there and I did it. And, you know, they're basically all you need for an ecstatic dance is a live DJ and a big space to move. And that's all you need. And and there's no talking. So there's no talking about. So that's kind of the difference between uh, another popular one called Five Rhythms, which has a little bit more structure. Ecstatic has zero structure. You just get to dance, 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 dance. And then five rhythms kind of brings in a little bit more guidance um, around exploring different movement and different rhythms and how that impacts your body. But again, all kind of with this, this intention to really allow the body to lead because how often do we really allow our bodies to lead? And so, yes, I love all those things. And what I'm bringing in my work is kind of going like one a little, one step further than five rhythms in the sense that I actually do like to give guidance during the during the movement processes. And I do believe, um, so we have, you know, kind of our 
conceptual talk therapy where we can, you know, talk, talk things out, which is really, really important because verbal sense making is important. It is important. We do need to do that, which is why I call my work psychosomatic and not just somatic. We do want the psycho part, psycho, psycho, psychological part. Yes. I don't want the psycho part, I want the psychological part, psychological component and that combination. And then also, you know, people will do just dance, just movement. Like I said, I was a technical ballet dancer for years. I've done every other type of dance. And even though it was so freeing and so healing, it still didn't quite make that connection to my emotional body, to my energetic body. Um, I knew that, oh, dancing felt good and I felt free and I feel happy, but it wasn't quite that intention for using it as a therapeutic tool to move what I like to call energetic congestion, energetic congestion through the body. Um, it wasn't quite there. And so that's why I like to say, and, and we can do, you know, massages are so good doing you know, massages and body work. Body work is so useful, but being able to also, again, add in the sense the this the psychological sense making tool of okay what's happening in my body and using that analysis tool on some level will will kind of bridges that gap of okay we're not just just doing body stuff we're not just doing mind stuff but we're doing it together and really bringing them together in these sessions and i mean most people <laughs> will say they're like you know i worked through more in an hour with you than I have in a year of therapy. And that's, and people are like, wow, like this is accelerated healing. And even though, and we're not doing anything quick, that's what's amazing about this is we're actually going very slowly into the body. And that's another thing I really like to gauge and meet people with where they're at, because this work is very, very intense. And, and so many things can come up once you go into the body, because the body's there holding all of it. And once you learn how to tap into it, it's like, it's, you know, kind of like the same, right? It's the reason why people go to plant medicine, right? It's a different way of navigating our experience and allowing truth to come out. And so even though we consider it accelerated healing, it really isn't accelerated it's so much that we are just tapping into something, an intelligence that we haven't tapped into yet. And so everything feels quicker, but it's, it's, it's just, that's, that's just the magic that gets to happen when we use our whole system, our whole system to process. Oh, that's, uh, that's wonderful. I, I know that uh, a lot of people that I've talked to, especially in early grief, have uh, a thing about movement at all. You know, they'll lie down on the bed or they'll sit in the recliner or they, they won't do anything. Mm. Yeah. I know my, my sister yeah. spent a great deal of time in her chair. I didn't even realize she didn't have a bed because her her husband had died in their bed and they had it mm. removed from the house and she hadn't replaced it she didn't want to be in that room so she sat in a chair and i had mm. no idea cuz she she lived far away and when i went to visit her i said where's your bed <laughs> you know yeah. yeah so we got her a bed before i left and made oh. sure that that she could 
be comfortable in going back in there. But the less you move your body, you know, the less you can move your body. And it's it's right. so important and it feels so good when you do it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, you bring up a really good point. And, and that's something I definitely want to touch on is I remember I kind of mentioned, you know, right after my father died, I was in a fog. You mm-hmm. know, we all know the fog. If we've gone through grief, like that type of grief, it's there's a fog and it lasts, you know, different for everybody. For me, it was around four months before I could really even be social again. And I wasn't, you know, kind of just... It was such a wild experience, as I'm sure you remember. And it is very difficult to dance, to move, to want to do any of that. And and that's not something I'm necessarily encouraging either. And that's why, again, there's these kind of like different layers, these different levels that we get to meet ourselves with movement. I mean, I know I spent a ton of time just laying in bed, mm-hmm. laying on the floor. Sometimes that feels like that's all we can do. Or instead of, you know, moving and dancing, like hiking, right? Hiking or just taking walks. Like that's kind of the big, that's the big level of movement, you know, get out in nature, be around nature. That's been, that's so healing for grief. But when people are ready to just, and, and you you kind of start doing it before you really think you're ready, you know, because if we wait till we're ready, we just we never do it because after grief, when we're in a grieving period, you know, when are we really going to be ready to do anything? Um, and so what I really like to encourage with my clients is, I mean, just this, we, I walk them through just the slowest, most subtle, isolated movements, a little bit in the spine, a little bit in the hips. We're not like, out there doing ecstatic dance by any stretch of the imagination, <laughs> really, you know, or even guided somatic visualization journeys. That's what I do a lot for clients. Um, and just even visualizing energy moving through the body without having to physically move it, just the visualization practice of moving the energy through the body is enough, is potent. And it's a gradual process to, okay, when am I ready? Your body, once you become attuned to the, your body, your body will let you know when it's time to, to move again, when it's time to start moving. Um, but when you're in that early grief period, it's, it's very difficult to move. And, and a lot of times, it's actually just really better to rest, to rest as much as you can. But then you get to a certain point where you start to notice okay, like my life has to go on. My loved one would want me to go on. And I do need to find uh, some momentum. I always say, you know, the grief journey is about little bits of momentum. And that was something that was really significant at the beginning was, or pockets of joy. That's what I would say, like finding pockets of joy, you know, because it's kind of, dark cloud, dark cloud, dark cloud, then something will make you laugh. And you'll be like, ah, you know, just for that moment, or, you know, you're thinking about them, you're thinking about the, you know, you'll wake up one morning and you'll be like, oh, I actually didn't think about them this morning. You're like, okay, you know, we're making it through. Um, Little bits of momentum, you'll find like there there will be, because you're so lethargic, so lethargic. And then 
something will kind of elevate, elevate your serotonin just a little bit, elevate your, you know, just energy just a little bit. And you go out and you do something and okay, that was my big thing for a week. <laughs> okay, now back to bed. <laughs> but you just notice you live for those little bits of momentum. And and that's something, another layer that I really like to work on is how to work with the, the natural biological chemistry of the body, right? So when we are grieving, we have high cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And then we, our body struggles to produce serotonin and dopamine. Do, dopamine is the, you know, pleasure. And, you know, when we eat something we like or drugs or sex or dancing or whatever, that's when dopamine is like the reward system of like, wow, it feels really good. And serotonin is kind of like the happy, you know, chemical. That's just like, you know, that's really like when people take SSRIs for depression, they're trying to boost serotonin. Although there's a whole thing out there right now, I don't want to get into it, but yeah. there's really interesting thing right now about serotonin and SSRIs and depression. But, but basically being able in our, in my sessions with my clients, I always like to ask them, what's your diet like, you know, cause what we are bringing into our body is really also going to affect our levels during grieving period. And we want everything that we can do to boost that serotonin, to boost that dopamine. Um, and so I like to encourage uh, my clients to really be mindful of what they're putting in their body as a way to help the machine, <laughs> help the whole machine, mm-hmm. help the help the hormones, help the neurotransmitters, all the happy chemicals to to function properly because that will really make a difference on a biological level as we navigate and regulate our nervous systems. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So many things to think about. You just <laughs> got my There's brain so spinning here. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious what what has stood out for you. Well, it, one of the, it just what you just said about the um, what you eat and what you put in your body. One challenge that um, people have, especially when they're it's a couple and one member of the the couple dies the other one doesn't know what to do about food or doesn't want to eat and they don't eat and when they do eat it's not what's good for them to eat and so they're not feeling healthy because they're not fueling their body the way they should have or should I try to not say that word how it would best serve them and I thought wouldn't it be cool to do something on happy eating And these are the foods that make you feel good. You you know, eat, eat these <laughs> like exactly. that. Eat this, not that thing that was was real popular for a while. But to to give people some ideas of they can feel better and, and believe they're going to feel better when they eat better. Yeah. But also have it be appealing. Yeah, exactly. Because. We don't want that comfort food, you know, that's, I mean, that's also what releases dopamine. That's Mm -hmm. why we get addicted to sugar, Yeah, Um, right? We get addicted to McDonald's, you know, that it has chemicals in there that does release dopamine. And so being kind of aware of, oh, okay, (laughs) those things are releasing my dopamine, but they're also then having this fall off effect Mm -hmm. on the other end, which actually plummets us yeah so that's that's where you've got to have the balance and and know that that can happen so that you can deal with it when it does 
Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, I'm, I love food, food. I love food. And I, and I'm a big, you know, comfort food. You have to find the right comfort food for you. That's not going to, you know, murder your gut, <laughs> but, but is also, you know, you don't have to be disciplined, especially in these moments when nothing like appealing, you know, you're grieving, you know, you forget to eat. In fact, you, you forget to eat. And then right when you do eat, it's maybe not the healthiest thing because you just want to try and get something down or it's accessible or um, you're like, oh, well, you know, these Cheetos or whatever Cheetos taste good because they give you that momentary hit. But that's why it's so important. I'm actually currently working with um, with a naturopath. I'm actually currently working on eating for grief type of, oh, of how program. Wonderful. Yeah. And I like that's awesome. happy eating. Yeah. And so I know a lot of people who can use that. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah, exactly. You know, because I feel like so much of our, when we, when we do diets or whatever, it's really just addressing the gut. And then when we do energetic work, it's really just addressing the energy, but then bringing it together because, you know, we need the emotional energetic cleansing and detoxing and, you know, everything just as much as we need to understand what's happening in the gut, how to lower cortisol and regulate our nervous system to feel better because cycle, you know, we could be the healthiest we ever have a really good mindset psychologically, but if we're eating, you know, cheeseburgers every day, our gut is not going to be too happy, but, or we're, we could be the healthiest, you know, fit person in the world. But if we're not addressing all these emotional energetic layers, then, you That's might have right. a fit body, but you know, how's your, the quality of your mind? Yeah. So. Which is the quality of your life. So exactly. well, this has been fascinating. I think we could probably <laughs> talk all day long. <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm everybody. I want to give you some space to think about all yeah. that uh, Kate shared with us today. Cause there's, there's a lot there that can help you a lot. And it just the important importance of just moving that that was a big challenge for me. I know mm -hmm. that um, once I just started walking and just walking around the neighborhood and then walking a little bit further each day made all the difference for me It was a huge mm -hmm. difference. And that doesn't cost you anything, you know, and it, it, and it feels so good. So think about these things, um, write about them in your journal, figure out something you want to do, find out. A happy food that's not a banana split or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> find one that I I know myself. I, I we're in Maui and we have bananas growing in our yard now. We we had some and had to take them all out because of some disease that got into them. So it's taken a couple of years to get them back, and we just got our first rack of bananas. And these bananas don't taste anything like the bananas on the mainland at all. They've got so much flavor and they're so good. And I made um, some banana bread yesterday with a different recipe than I usually use. And I thought it was fabulous. Uh, to me, it just tasted so good because it had the, the flavor from these bananas and it was really great. And my son said, well, it's good. But you know that red and white checkered cookbook that you got with that recipe? That's what you made me when I was a kid. And that's what I think of with <laughs> banana bread. And can you make that, please? <laughs> So I think I know. I think I think my mom had that. I think I know yeah. what you're talking about. 
So it, it's uh, it's interesting how how we look at things and what's comfort. And to him, the comfort was the red and white checkerboard recipe. So uh, next time I make the banana bread, I'll make that so that he can enjoy that comfort food for him. Yeah. But thank you so much for joining us today. And we're going to have Kate's information in our show notes so that you can see what she's doing and find out what's going along. And I think she's got some fabulous things in mind for what's going to go on in Oahu. So do stay in touch with her because you, you're going to love it. So thank you, Kate, so much for coming today. This was just really wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Emily. I appreciate you having me here. (sighs) And to my guests, um, think about that this week and then come back next week and we'll have a totally different topic to talk about and enjoy that too. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us right now. See you next time. Aloha. Do you want more comfort, support, and happiness? Join the Grief and Happiness Alliance. Visit my website at lovingandlivingyourwaythroughgrief.com and read my book, Loving and Living Your Way Through Grief. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, review it, and binge on all our episodes on grief and happiness. I can't wait to welcome you back to another episode.